I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, all eyes, ears and Google Calendar event invitations are on Tuesday night as England take on the USA in the World Cup semi-final. We ask whether England have what it takes to overcome the tournament favourites and look at how they got there with a comfortable win. 3-0 over Aarhus, Norway. There's another semi-final happening, of course. That's how tournaments tend to work. And we preview Dark Horses Sweden versus Dark Horses the Netherlands. So many Dark Horses, in fact, that this half of the draw is starting to resemble a mid-90s advert for a popular Irish stout. Plus, we have a conversation with England international Jordan Nobbs and ask our panel and you, our listeners, about famous fans. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by the Offside Rules own Kate Borsay. What's going on, Kate? Well, I nearly wasn't here today. Yes. Tell us why. <laughs> because I got a couple of tickets to England-USA oh, semi-final. And you've chosen the Telegraph oh, over the it Lionesses. It was tough. Um, yeah, number of reasons, but predominantly because I wanted to hang out here with you guys today. Good, fantastic. Yeah. Glad to hear it. What about you, JJ Ball? How are you? Good. No one offers me anything. That's not true, JJ. <laughs> I offered you, we a, offer you a, love. I offered you a coffee. At some point in the past, I was going to say this morning, but I didn't do that. I was going to send you a message <laughs> on my way in, but I completely forgot to do it. Well, I have actually received free coffees from Pret the last two times I've gone there. Wow. Do you know the secret? Because I do. What is that? I smiled at them. It was nice. Is that it? Yes. You have to say good morning and how are you? Yeah. And then they reply. And the other thing is that you could do is once you pay for your goods, if you go, oh, I've forgotten to order a coffee. They give you the coffee because they can't be bothered to put it through. Wow. I've, I've totally revealed my life A plan. Yes. What's the success rate like? Do you do this every time you go to the... No. Is this like a Colombo thing? You turn <laughs> There was just one more thing. <laughs> no, I do pay for more coffees than I don't pay for coffees, but I think it's really nice, a really oh. nice initiative that they there do. There you go. This is the most useful this podcast has ever been. Let's get back onto the football. How good are England? Oh my God, it was amazing, wasn't it? What a performance yeah. for them. It was just really nice to see them go for everything and be positive. And dispatch of a Norway side that I was, you know, honestly worried about beforehand because I didn't quite know what to expect of them. There were factors now that we know that kind of led to Norway not being particularly good. Um, they what were very was? lethargic. Um, they had, I think, done about three training sessions before the game, whereas England had only done one. 
Um, Norway had um, a day's less rest, didn't they? I think, and yeah, they. I think they were just exhausted, and they'd reached the end of the road. Norway, but let's not take anything away from England because they were awesome. You know, still not one hundred percent perfect, but this is the direction that we want to be going in, and that's the most important thing. Absolutely, yeah, they were good, not great in the group stage. They got the results they mm. needed, but the performances weren't necessarily there. They came through that weird game against Cameroon in the round of sixteen. Norway was seen as the big test. But England came through that with flying colours, JJ. Are they hitting form at the right time, do we think? It seems to be. I think it's interesting that um, the women's team and the men's team both had a pretty easy route through the World Cup stages to get where they are. Oh, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> Japan in the group stage was a tougher game than it yeah, might have been, like the Scotland. England should still have actually, them. you know, Norway put France to the test in those group stages. They are a decent side, but I think that they had just run out of steam, effectively. They are decent, but I think there's better teams and I think England are about to play well the first team <laughs> the who, are, who are definitely well the best yeah <laughs> the team are, who are much clearly better than them um, I think England were good in this game I think they disproved that they were a step above Norway so yeah. they should have beaten them anyway um, I thought that um, uh, who's, uh, Steph Houghton I thought was absolutely brilliant yeah. in this game she's uh, been one of the best defenders in the entire tournament for me and there was like that one recovery tackle she made where Millie Bright was caught playing everyone on side. Yeah. And then Houghton, I watched it in slow-mo to try and work out how that happened earlier this morning. And you see Houghton looks over, over her shoulder, at spots that um, Stokes and Bright are just playing the, the striker on side. And Houghton runs like she sprints instantly, having spotted the danger, which hasn't happened yet, and gets in position to clear it. And uh, yeah, I, I've been really impressed with that bit. Yes, it's, Steph's reading of the game is awesome. She's a very clever level, player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is that scanning? That seems to be the modish way to talk about that now. It's all the football coaches saying, "Oh yeah, really good scanning," and that's just no looking over your shoulder a lot, isn't it? Uh, well, it's it's basically preempting, preempting danger, isn't it? Which is what your best defenders do, which is what your best players do. They 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 are, they are always a step ahead of the play. Yeah, you'd have to just have a mental picture if you're playing and you don't look. If someone passes to you, I think you've seen it in quite a few players. Um, I, th- I thought England had been doing it quite. Uh, badly in Scotland I was were, uh, Scotland weren't doing this very well was not really looking up so when the pass was coming in they didn't know it was ahead of them they were just sort of watching the play yeah. and you should always be constantly scanning Arsene Wenger says the top players will be scanning about eight to nine times before they receive the ball um, and I, I love I'm just picturing someone like over <laughs> an actual scanner now like the yeah. best players they just get so good but it's just looking around like, it's not I mean there's all these technical words that come into it and you have like your dads like Graham Sunis are coming in saying, slagging off people for using terms like low block and all this sort of stuff but scanning is literally just looking around to see who's behind you and who's there and Houghton's reading the game. players who read the game really well like Houghton uh, just look around constantly to see what's there but they already know what's going to happen next like they can see where the ball is and what's likely to happen like a great chess player and just know like, the next three steps so they're always ahead of it Let's talk about another England defender Lucy Bronze-Kate very well regarded uh, before the tournament started but now she just looks like one of the absolute best players in the world how impressed have you been with her performances? Next level she was awesome in that game against Norway she helped set up the first two goals she scored the third you cannot deny her her physicality. I mean, she runs and runs and runs. She is a physical beast of a specimen. She is, you know, wonderful. She's got a terrific engine and she'll run and run and run. But it's not just about that. It is about her reading of the game too. And as a member of the opposition, if you see Lucy Bronze bombing past you, you're like, what on earth is going on here? Um, yeah, she is, she is fearsome and she has that fight 
and the technical ability, because remember, she's been at Lyon for two seasons now. She's won two Champions League titles. She's technically a much better player than when we first saw her at the last World Cup, which is really when she came into our conversation as a player who is very, very good. She is now, I think we can safely say, the world's best right back in the women's game. Yeah. Such a good outball for England, isn't she? If, if they're in trouble at the back, you just give she it to her. She gets them out of trouble. Yeah, you know if she's she just getting past ball, two players she, and she yeah. turns defence into attack so quickly she, just on her own. Yeah, yeah. It's that it's that switching of the game from defence into attack, surprising the opposition. And, and, you know, England are great at that. They, they can move so quickly from defence into attack that if you're not on your A game as the opposition, as Norway weren't, they just completely surprise you and they can physically push past you much quicker than you can ever keep up with them. But it's also the fact that if Lucy does make a mistake, she quickly corrects it. And you see this time and time again with her game. If she messes up, she's the first person to try and make amends. And that's really someone who you want on your team, technically gifted as an individual, but she's such a good team player as well. It makes everything work for England as well, having that overlapping right back. Another thing I've noticed a lot in this World Cup is that not every team sends their fullbacks forward. They don't seem to overlap a lot of them. I don't know whether that's um, they don't want to use all their energy up and want to be defensively solid, so there's not players like you know rampaging forward and leaving gaps. But bronze is always on the overlap. Yeah. So then you've got uh, Paris, who plays on the right, can always come inside. So England can play with more central forwards. And when they have the ball, that's. Uh, really, really useful. And also, it, it'll make Phil Neville look like he's done some sort of clever tactical thing, but actually, it's just that Bronze is really fast and powerful yeah. and just does that anyway. And as you can see, can get back to recover. Um, England have a great like defensive bit of their team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's an interesting take from the Norway game because for me, I thought there was still some quite concerning moments at the back. Well, the things that... Especially the centre-backs. Yeah, the things... Well, I think um, Houghton and Bronze are two... We've been in my team in the tournament. It's the first names down, probably. But then you'd have... um, I think Bright was caught ball-watching quite a lot, not doing the things that Houghton was doing. Well, she had a virus before this game. I was going to say, if I'm going to pick the virus, have her, it looked like Bright. Yes, Okay. And so we saw a period, and this has happened in nearly every England game, after the second... um, after half time, where they they just dip, they mm-hmm. lack concentration, they lack energy, and they just get a bit. And, and we saw it against Cameroon, we saw it against Japan, and we were lucky in those games not to concede. That's where we still need to be cautious. There was a lot less of that in the Norway game. But what you saw is later on in the second half, Millie Bright struggling. And we were all sat there saying, she needs to be subbed off, she needs to be subbed off. And I was um, sat with a uh, Chelsea player and I was like, you know, why, why isn't Phil taking her off? And she's just like, if you know Millie Bright, you will know it's more trouble to take her off than, than <laughs> it is to leave her on. And, and I mean that with the greatest respect. Millie Bright would not have wanted to be taken off. She would want to give it the full 90 minutes regardless of how she's feeling. That, um, that kind of mentality, that's the one thing I think will be interesting with the USA game, because not only the USA, uh, they've got such great players and they're solid as a team, but they have that winning mentality, and they are gonna they are gonna win. Expect it, like they just believe they're gonna win. Yeah. Whereas I I get this feeling with England that they're like, wow, we're in the semi-finals now. We've done this. Like they're used to getting to the semi-final, but not the next step. I, do you know what? Yes, I can totally see where you're coming from. But from the offset, and I spoke to Phil before the tournament began. The aim was to win the World Cup. Okay, we've now made the last three semi-finals in major tournaments. 2015, the Euros in 2017, and now. This is where we expect to be. So we shouldn't be getting too excited because, because you know, this is where we expect to yeah. be. 
But the target for this tournament is to win the World Cup. And just because they're against USA, they haven't changed that target. It's going to be a completely different test. In terms of technical ability, the teams are on par. In terms of physicality, the teams are on par. And it will probably come down to that mental edge. The The edge that USA have is that they have a history of winning. England don't don't have that history yet. They are entering into uncharted territories, but England have the will to win. So how far will that take them? It's so interesting. It's exactly it. And the other thing as well is because that it's it feels like new territory now. So whereas it, it, this is kind of strange, but it's it's not that they're used to finish getting to the semi final. That's sort of treaded ground, so they know where they are. And it's like being on a skateboard; they don't have to stop it. But now they're going to this faster bit of the hill, and they don't quite have control. And you might not you might see that some of those um, technical players don't have their best game because they're just in this new unfounded kind of territory and that's what I think the USA will be better at and that like you say is the absolute battle is in the head and how they approach how their game comes out on the pitch yeah totally so how does Phil Neville mitigate that how does he win the mental battle and what can he say to his team as they prepare to place to, to face the best team in the world they've got these psychologists England and they haven't been named on purpose and, and I love all <laughs> they haven't been named on purpose. Yuri Geller, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they are a big part of the team setup. But they've also got very strong players like Nikita Paris, who was asked whether she um, needs to see the psychologist in order to carry on with her penalty taking duties. And she was like, no. Absolutely not. I do not need to see them. I'm absolutely fine. Just stop giving her penalties. Well, yes, <laughs> there is that argument. Um, where England identified that they messed up at the Euros when they reached the semi-final and they played the eventual winners, Netherlands, was that they were sort of their head was in the final already. They were living this dream, continued on from 2015, and their head was in the final already. What's great about this game is their head can't be in the final already because this is the tougher challenge. The USA by the way, have been to England's hotel and scouted out the hotel rooms for the final. How presumptive is that? So this is where the mind games start, okay? Why would you as a team scout out your opposition's hotel on the premise that you'll be there for the final? And this is where I want England to just soccer punch them. <laughs> just just go for them because that behaviour is, is, is just, oh, it's typical America. I... I think they've done something very clever as well in America by sending Agent Williams to scout the England football team. <laughs> Serena Williams was training with the team yes. all last week. At the, at the hotel They were in, gym buddies, uh, she nice. said. Yeah, yeah. I think she's working for them. I think she's the woman on the she, inside. She was very <laughs> respectful. She said some really nice things about the Lionesses, yeah, actually. She said, I, heard, I heard her say like I, they were doing things that I couldn't do. She's like, ab, can you imagine how good stuff, you'd feel? If you stuff. Were... And she was like, I don't think I can have a go at that. <laughs> um, exactly in that accent. Thank you, JJ. <laughs> Admiring my, you know, Serena accent, which I is the like same it. as my, you know, yeah. But yeah, so so that's interesting, isn't it? And I think oh, it's 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 so difficult, isn't it? But it is that mental edge, and it is that will to win. And I, 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 I mean, I just I just can't call it. I really can't call it. Of course, England are going to have to step up. We're going to have to see a Norway-style performance, not a group stage-style performance from England. But the momentum is with them. I, I just have no idea. I just can't call it. But I'm really excited about what is going to be a really good match. Do we think the extra day of rest is going to make any difference for England? Probably gives them an extra few percent of of uh, stamina. <laughs> I don't know whether it's the extra day of rest that does something for England or the lack or the le- one, or the one day less 
rest that the USA have got okay. because they had a tougher test against France than mm. we did against Norway. Um, France really pushed them in, in the second half and they're also playing in much hotter conditions as well. So if that is a factor, and I actually don't think it will be because both teams are very physically strong, physically primed, then it would affect the USA more than it would England. Delighted to say that very soon we're going to be talking to BBC pundit and of course Telegraph columnist Jordan Nobbs. Jordan, you've just landed in Lyon. Can you tell us about the mood in the French football capital, if not the actual capital? Uh, and what are you hearing from the England camp? Are the players feeling good about the game against USA? Uh, yeah, I'm actually just about to fly to Lyon, so I'm not quite there yet. Okay. Um, so I haven't quite seen the uh, the atmosphere and stuff. Um, but, you know, obviously there's been, there's been uh, big crowds and, um, you know, what looks like to be two sellout crowds for the for the semi final and the final. So um, I'm looking forward to getting there. And um, the mood in camp is well. I mean, they're obviously all in a great place. They're in a semi final of a World Cup and and playing one of the best teams in the tournament. So um, you know, I've seen the girls now and again. I saw them before the the last game, and everyone was pretty relaxed, having a coffee, and um, you know, not really talking too much football, just talking about general things and. Um, you know, the girls will just be preparing and uh, for the game. Sounds very sensible. Phil Neville's spoken a lot about the confidence and the belief he's seen from his players and, and feeling like he knew they were going to win the Norway game the day before, just from the look in their eyes. Is there anything similar going on about the USA game or, or is there a lot more respect for the team they're facing in the semis? No, I mean, obviously they'll be facing every game differently with their tactics because obviously um, the teams they've faced have been very, very different Um opposition but Phil will be going in with um, his best team and his best team to face that squad but I think what he's shown over the tournament is he believes in uh, every player he's got and um, I think that builds confidence within the players and um, you know you'd prefer to get some game time than, than none so you know it's getting to the, the gritty stage of this tournament now where he needs to keep feeding his players confidence and I'm sure he's doing that by the performances that they've put in. England have shown a lot going forward, Jordan, in all of their performances really so far. But how can the midfield cope with what they're going to face against the USA? And how do they prevent feeling slightly overwhelmed by the the, the quality of the players that we're coming up against? I don't think they'll feel overwhelmed. I think we've got um, top players in our squad. They've, they've played America before, so it's, it's nothing new that they're going to um, be up against. So I think they'll be full of confidence in, in what they've done in the past against America and um, obviously winning the She Believes is a is a boost but you know this is a World Cup now and it's different mentality different uh, pressure and um, yeah the, the girls are, are talented midfielders for the US but you know we've got the same talent and I think um, they will pose maybe a bit more threat as in physicality and, and running wise I think they're they are a fit team but you know, we've got to be prepared for that. And um, I'm sure that Phil and, and the girls will, will tactically be ready for what they're going to face. Tell us a little bit how you found watching the tournament as a spectator and from your position in the uh, in the punditry arena. Uh, it's been tough, but I'm, I'm very glad that I, I decided to do it. Um, I think in football, you don't get many opportunities in your career. And with me being injured at this time, it was a a great opportunity I didn't want to miss out on and um, you know the media's kind of been a, a blessing in disguise to focus on kind of a job football role rather than a, 
injured player in the stands. So, you know, I think when I get back from here, I, I probably will take um, a minute to kind of think about it because it has been a whirlwind and, and all gone very, very quick, um, you know, not to kind of think about missing out. But, uh, you know, football comes with injuries and you just have to be mentally strong for whenever they come. Away from your role as someone in the media, just as a person, how do you feel about this England team? You know, I'm not just only missing the World Cup, but I'm I'm missing it with uh, a lot of my best friends. I've, I've known Demi since I was seven, um, Lucy Staniforth, Lucy Bronze, uh, since I was like 14. Um, you know, grew up with a lot of these girls at England Youth. Um, you know, so they're a lot of my close friends, and I think that's probably why I've been so involved with the Lionesses and, and the squad because they are close friends of mine irrelevant of whether they're in a, a World Cup tournament or a, a qualifying game um, you know I love them girls on and off the pitch so um, it's been nice to obviously stay in touch with them and, and them stay in touch with me and uh, you know Jodie celebrating when she scored a goal and things like that you know it, it means a lot to me and um, you know, it's been easy for me to stay involved because um, I speak to them a lot out of football. And what about this heat wave we've been hearing so much about, uh, Jordan? I, I want to hear that you're hydrating well. <laughs> yeah, it's been very hot. Uh, even um, doing the punditry, you know, we've been uh, in a little box of about 40 degree heat. So um, it has been very hot up there. Um, I don't know how the girls are running about in it, um, to be honest, but... You know, everyone's in the same boat and, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been uh, very hot weather. <laughs> All right, Jordan, we look forward to seeing you on our screens on Tuesday. Good luck with everything and thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Let's talk about that France-USA game now. The Americans won it 2-1 to set up the tie with England in the semi. How has the result gone down in France, Kate? Yeah, I mean, Karine Dirac, who's the French manager, just came out for the post-match press stuff and just said, it's a failure. You know, which was like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, so look, after that initial statement, she did then talk about, you know, trying to push the game forward and what's next for them. And of course, France don't don't qualify for the Olympics um, either as a result of this. I looked at the L'Equipe headline, which is the main sporting paper over in France, as you probably know, and their front page read, The Hangover. What is it in French? Oh my god! Le hangover. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. It's it's something that I can't even remember. I bet it's a um, delightful idiom. And do you know that idiom? Email afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk yes. or make one up in French. We'll yes. take either. But Lequeep said that France was sealed by individual mistakes and the inefficiency of attackers. And I think for them, they lost the mental battle. France are technically a better team than the USA, which is why I would have preferred to face the USA in the semi-final as an England fan. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it's a disappointment. I think Karine Diakra was very strong in her analysis afterwards. But I think that the whole nation's been swept away by this whole World Cup thing and they'll be more disappointed than they are kind of angry about it. The... Um they didn't change their approach all the way through the game, and that was just to put the ball out wide and cross it into the box. They had, what is it? I think they had 20 shots to 10. Yeah. Uh, five of those were on target. I think almost all of them were headers from the summer. Um, I don't, there was no change in approach from the, the manager, which is poor. And I thought, like, some of the best players, like Henri had a bit of a poor game, I thought. Yeah. Like, Govan didn't do anything. I mean, Govan was disappointing, and I would have put 
Cascarino on for her because Cascarino is a great player and she hasn't had enough of a chance. She only really got her chance after Govan was told off for being a naughty girl by Diacra in that first game mm-hmm. after she turned up late late to training. So I would have bought on Cascarino a lot earlier. Um, I think Diacra was just was just hoping and hoping and hoping and really she should have taken a step back and and and, and actually you know changed something. But I guess as a compliment to them, Jill Ellis had to. Change her shape when when France came on the attack and she held up that sign saying four one and we were all like yeah what does that mean but apparently it means a five four one um, so she had to change her tactics America had to change their tactics to try and stop France and France were in that period when they got that goal they were strong and I was really willing them on but they just you know like it was almost like they just mentally could not get to that point. Quite, yeah. Megan Rapino was the hero for America. Again, is she their most dangerous player, Kate? In terms of physicality and will, yes, she is. I wouldn't say she's necessarily their most technical player, but she is the player who will see them through whatever happens. A bit like Steph for England. You know, Steph captains England and pushes them, pulls them through. You, you know, you need that player in these tournaments when when it's hot and you're tired and you're nearly at the end. And and Megan does that, and she's you know become an icon in America because of what she supports off the pitch, but but also what she stands for on the pitch. And I think her her on field behaviour replicates how forthright and how she's not afraid to stand up for what she believes in. She's strong on gay rights. She's anti racism. She doesn't like Trump. We know that obviously for what she said. And her on-the-field battle is the same. She stands up and you saw after she scored against France, she kind of held her arms aloft. You know, arrogance. You know, really arrogance. I really like it. It was a great but photo. But she can carry it off. Yeah. So she's just, you know, she was she was arms outspread, chest out, you know, as if to say, come and get me, world. Um, and she can get away with that. So she did seem completely unfazed by the Donald Trump issues. She doesn't um, care. Uh, quite rightly too. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking it's not it's not a small thing that she took a public stand against that. You don't see that often from athletes, especially in the states, because she's she's inevitably with that. She's a, she's alienated people at home. She's probably upset a lot of people at yeah. home who would are otherwise quite behind that team. I reckon she's probably upset some of her teammates as well. Uh, I did wonder after her second goal, did you see how she ran straight past the person who'd assisted her, who sort of went off in the other direction? They didn't celebrate <laughs> together as well. So there's a conspiracy theory for you. But uh, tell, tell us a bit more about her character, Kate, and, and what sort of uh, what sort of person she is. Well, she, um, in the nicest possible way, she doesn't care. She is 33. She's at the stage in her career. She's She was hugely, hugely a massive part of that USA squad. And then she picked up an injury um, and didn't play so much. And she has attributed that period. She also met her partner, Sue Bird, who is a um, basketball player. And she's attributed that period to when she was able to get a bit of reflection. She jumped off the US bandwagon for a bit. And she started to look at what she believed in and started to look at how she was going to shape her life, I guess, around this US team, enjoy her time as a player, but also with one eye as to what happens afterwards. And, and also taking a stand for stuff that, 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 you know, she feels in her position, she has to take a stand against. And that, you know, um, goes alongside with Colin Kaepernick. Have I said that right? Yeah, you got it. You got it. <laughs> Some would say Kaepernick, but, you know, Kaepernick, okay. I'm not sure I got Rapino right. Yes, you did. Oh, fantastic. You did, because it's not Rapino, it's Rapino. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so um, alongside 
Colin Kaepernick with him uh, not kneeling during the US anthem and she doesn't sing the national anthem either and she stands by him and she was one of the first professional athletes I think over in the US to kind of you know vocally stand with that um, and she's been defiant about that ever since. She's not worried if Donald Trump sends her a tweet and says well Megan should start winning before she starts talking before she starts thinking about getting an invite to the White House and she's like I don't want an invite to the White House. I don't care about this. She runs a clothing brand with her twin sister and she has said that she appreciates that her taking a stand like she has done will have affected sales of her clothing brands. She understands that, but she doesn't care. A powerful person. JJ, who else should we be looking out for in the America team and be worried about if we're supporting England, which I'm sure we all are at this point? <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, the USA is one of the strongest midfields in the whole competition uh, that's where they'll kind of dominate the game. I really have been really impressed with Ertz and Lavelle and Mewis. But one of the other things that you have is like Alex Morgan is their kind of famous player, you, I guess you'd say. But she goes through games kind of quite quietly and sneaks about. But when she gets on the ball, things happen. Like there's one little dribble she had where she got, took the ball up in the, in the right wing and cut inside. And she sees, uh, just like we were talking about scanning the game and reading what's ahead of her, she knows where the next play is going to be and she just spots these little through balls to link things in. I also think Tobin Heath uh, has been brilliant yes, on the right I, wing for you yeah, and she's underrated too and I've loved watching Tobin Heath really since I got to know her as a player in 2015 um, she scored an, an amazing back heel goal um, for Sky Blue uh, during the domestic season for America and she's she's skilled and what happens is people spend so much time on Rapino and on Morgan that it allows Tobin Heath space and that's why we're starting to see the best of her because the opposition is so busy watching these you know mm-hmm. massively talented key players that Tobin can just sneak up in there <laughs> Who was the left back playing for America against France quite short Crystal Dunn Crystal Dunn yes. I was really impressed with her yes. interested in watching that uh, her against uh, bronze potentially well, well yes there are some amazing matchups to look forward to um, Crystal Dunn, you know, bronze Paris against Dunn and I guess bronze against Rapino. Um, Crystal Dunn is really interesting because she's playing out of position. Okay. And she has fitted into that like a glove. She's been, I think, one of the standout players for the for the US. Um, she's just so switched on. She's just so unfazed by it. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 did, I thought you were going to talk some more. Um, I totally agree. I think um, those matchups will be interesting and uh, especially because Bronze is going to be versus Rapino basically at, at, on, on the yeah. one side um, Heath is going to be taking on it'll be Stokes probably playing left do you think I so I think in terms of lineup, yeah I think the, the issue with Alex Greenwood as good as she is as better as she's got with set pieces um, she is an attacking um, fullback and I think you're going to need Demi Stokes there because when Alex Greenwood runs forward it creates space behind her and that's what the US are going to exploit so um, I think I would go with Demi Stokes again. I think she had a really good game against Norway. Um, haven't been totally convinced by her for the um, for the prior games in in the in the tournament, and obviously she was carrying a bit of an injury as well. But I think Demi Stokes would be the player. Yeah, and I think the, there's a big problem trying to get hold of the midfield. I think England will probably go for like a four one four one kind of shape again, purely to to double up on the wings because that's going to be a big problem to deal with. But then you've got that um, USA Central three against. I think I don't think Frank Kirby's managed to get involved in play as much as he should have done. Jill Scott has been their standout in the yeah, centre. Yeah, Jill Scott's been great, and Frank Kirby's an interesting one because we because we keep saying this. We really yet, want her to be good. Yes, yes, and and actually, what's interesting is. I guess we don't see what Fran's doing off the ball so much um, and you have to credit her for that. I think she is struggling um, with form and perhaps 
with mentality a little bit too. She's had a stop-start season. And I know that after the first game, she was really frustrated. I mean, really, really frustrated after that game. And Phil's really trying to, you know, move her on and and try and bring out the best in her. So it'll be interesting as to what happens with Fran. But, uh, but the US team have picked out Fran and Ellen as players to watch. So I'm quite happy for them to stay on Fran. And actually, Fran could do us a real service if she just quietly goes about her game. Doesn't worry about scoring goals. Yeah. She quietly goes about her game. She could she could really do uh, you know an absolute service for England. I um, absolutely agree. And I think as well, when you have players like Kirby who are so determined to do well after everything she's gone through as well to, to get to this World Cup... Um, it can mean it's a very uh, Clive comment, but it, it's <laughs> trying far too hard, and then you yes. stop. You stop doing natural muscle memory things, and you start trying to overthink things, and then yes. your little touch goes. You're not in the right place at the right time because it's not natural. You're trying to think too hard, and that's something that um, I would imagine Neville will be aware of. But Kirby, more than anyone, will know that she's doing it, and that's that weird paradox where she knows she's trying too hard, but she's trying too hard to try and get over it. Yes. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Given the update your references, I'm afraid JJ find a female uh, alternative to Clive. Oh yeah, okay, I need to do that. <laughs> One thing I should chip in and say is that England cannot let the USA score first because in every game that the USA score first, they end up winning. Um, the USA's opening goals so far have happened in the 12th, 11th, 3rd, 7th and 5th minutes. So these are their games in this tournament. Uh, the USA have never lost when scoring first in a World Cup, uh, now through 39 matches. And this is key for England anyway, and we saw it against Norway. We scored early on, in fact, the earliest goal at the World Cup, this World Cup so far from Jill Scott. So that's key for England. We need to score first. Is there any weakness in the America team? The goalkeeper, I mean, she's been okay so far, but um, if you're uh, Alicia Nea and you're trying to um, carry on the legacy left by Hope Solo, that is a tough gig. She had a few questionable performances coming into this tournament, but actually she's been fairly solid um, in this one. She was at fault for Spain's equaliser against the USA. I think she made a bad pass to one of their defenders. I think if she... If she's rattled, and I don't think she's really been too rattled, perhaps France rattled her, but I don't think she's been too rattled yet. But I would I would pinpoint her as a potential weak point for the USA. Hasn't faced a bronze rocket yet, has she? No, she hasn't. <laughs> You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's move on to the other semi-finals. The Netherlands are there in the World Cup for the first time. Uh, this was unexpected at the start of the tournament, is it fair to say, Kate? I think so. I mean, the Netherlands are the Euro 2017 winners, but the general consensus was was that they hadn't really moved their team on from that point um, and that they hadn't really come up with, you know, phase phase two of their kind of taking over the world um, dominance. Um, but they've quietly gone about their business. They've actually not been at 100% in any of their games. Or maybe it's just that they don't have that 100%. I don't know. But they've, they've basically made their way through this tournament by not being great. So I think that where you have to fear from the Netherlands is what happens if they do like England did against Norway and step up their game. They've used the same attacking lineup in every game. So I think that their coach has to think about tiredness a little bit. They has to think about options. Miedemar 
is just awesome. I mean, she doesn't look like she does much. In fact, we've called her on the offside rule the silent assassin. And that totally, totally sums her up. She doesn't appear to do a lot. And then up she pops and there's a header. And, and well over 50% of the Netherlands goals are from headers. So if you're coming up against the Netherlands, you really need to look at that. I'm interested in the idea of a noisy assassin. I would suggest a noisy assassin is not <laughs> doing their job very well. Yeah. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Here I am! Um, I think Holland's a weird one. Um, it's called Netherlands of Holland. I'm never sure what I want to call them. Uh, they, this, this was the best I've seen them play um, against Italy. And I think they showed that they were a, a step above where Italy were. And I was really impressed with Italy up until now as well. So I think that might help us work out that they are actually genuinely quite good. Um, Van der Donk and Spitzer have been superb. Spitzer's been awesome. Yeah, yeah. she uh, absolutely um, controls games on her own. Van der Sanden, who was great in the European Championships, was absolutely rubbish in this game. And she got hooked after about 55 minutes. And I wonder whether she'd be the one that doesn't get on to play in the next game. Uh, Martins it has little little sparks of, of goodness, I'll say, but it's sprinkled, but she doesn't, doesn't be able to really do enough that she should, uh, should be able to. Miedema... Um, is this kind of player that you sometimes see where everything is a little slower around her like yes. every, her time moves a bit slowly when she gets the ball it's really odd because she's built like a centre forward and she is a centre forward and scores all their goals but she just drops into a little space now and again just away from people which she sees and then it's as if she has time to bring the ball down and pass it wide while everyone else is sprinting like headless chickens I really like that you see it in a few players now and again Big surprise in the other quarterfinal as Sweden beat Germany 2-1. Sweden have lost to Germany four times before at these major finals. Um, Who do we expect to see in the final out of Sweden and the Netherlands? The Netherlands for me. I think so too. Although I think Sweden are really underrated. Well, we just didn't know what we were going to get from Sweden. Mm -hmm. um, And they were impressive. You know, really, really impressive um, against Germany. I I have to say, I don't know whether we'll see that from Sweden again. I don't know whether the Netherlands will allow that to happen. Germany were slow on the back line. They've yeah, been without Marajan. I mean, they yeah. were desperate to bring on a player with a broken toe. Just tells you how <laughs> desperate they were. I mean, I hate to laugh about it. Well, but I mean, I mean, what you know, what on earth is a player with a broken toe going to do for your team? at a quarterfinal in a World Cup. The fact that it got to that point was disastrous for me. <laughs> Their manager, Martina Vos-Tecklenburg, she, uh, she, she had a first competitive game in charge of that side at their first group stage game. So she's only been in the gig for about six months. I think Germany re- really need to look at their team. They need to look at how they want to take it forward because they just have no game plan, really. Let's have a little tribute to the teams we have lost in this tournament. Uh, not dead, just out. Uh, Italy, the surprise of the uh, of probably the whole competition. Sad to see them go, of course. Um, what about Germany? A little bit disappointed with them, Kate. Did they? Um, they didn't rotate much, did they? Did they pay the price for that? It seems like that that has been quite wise, actually, from England. Is they're really changing the teams, especially given how hot yeah. it's been in France. Well, that you've also needed that freshness. Wise from Sweden, because remember they replaced seven or eight of their players in that last group stage game against USA. They didn't appear to care whether they won or lost it, really, and that really paid off. Has paid off for Sweden as we go down down the line. Yeah, I think. I, I think Germany struggled to get the best out of all, out of all their players. At, at the last World Cup, Marajan was key, and Sasic was absolutely key as well for them. She was the Golden Boot winner, um, and they've just lost that. They've just lost that cohesion. They're, they're just a bit dis 
disjointed and I don't I don't quite get them I don't quite understand where they are as a team what's their ammo you, you know what's their what's their drive what's their mission I just think it's it, it just all feels a bit pedestrian yeah I, again I totally agree with that um I, th- I think they do have again they're one of those teams with good individual players but they didn't they didn't really click and I, mm. I think um, Sweden were very good in this game but they were quite obvious mistakes that they were getting beaten by like just balls over the top and bringing on a player with a broken toe um, whose name <laughs> is Jennifer Marazan yeah. Marazan yeah but then like, I was just saying I did actually think she made a big difference you can see why they put her on oh she is the Germans the best best player yeah. that's that's why the manager bought her on is that she does have the ability to change games but I just think the fact that you're relying on her with a broken toe to try and do that at a World Cup quarterfinals just too little too late and I sound like I'm belittling the Germans. You know, the Germans have won 12 straight matches going into this World Cup. The goals by Sweden were the first goals that they've conceded at this World Cup. They are a decent side. They, As I said, there's just something about them which isn't quite working and actually makes them a bit dull to watch sometimes as well. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Germany. Uh, we've spoken a little bit about France, a team who definitely peaked too early in their own competition. What about Norway, uh, Kate? Are they one of the countries who would benefit most from a little bit more funding, a little bit more professionalism? Because not all of their players are full-time, is that right? I think so, yeah. And, uh, well, actually, a lot of their players play abroad. Um, you know, Norway's always ha- ha- has a rich tradition of women's football. So it's not for lack of support, I don't think, or lack of regard within their home country. And I think Norway outperformed how the nation thought they were going to. In fact, I spoke to a Norwegian journalist before that quarterfinal. And... and you know, I said, I, as an England fan, I'm actually worried about this one. And he said, why? You know, we don't expect to get past these quarterfinals. They don't expect much from their team. Um, I think Norway played a blinder in this tournament. They they were impressive. And as I've mentioned, they held France and um, didn't win, but they put in a really good account of themselves. So I've been impressed by Norway. I think they overachieved at this tournament and they, 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 they then got to use that as their base um, for taking these players on and, you know, also players like um, Caroline Graham Hansen as well, who um, who was such a threat in other games. I think England just worked out how to how to contain her. Let's briefly take the temperature of the entire tournament before we finish up. Do we think the women's game is winning hearts and minds, JJ, as we would hope? Uh, I really hope it has. I know they've been showing it in a lot of pubs sort of around where I am. Some of my friends have been talking to me about it, but I, it's not as um, like celebrated as I would have liked. Like England are playing in a semi-final yeah, I get on that Tuesday. Too. I, I, and I'm I, kind of a bit bummed I don't see it everywhere. Yeah, I, I almost feel like there was more buzz when we were in Canada in 2015 because it was such a surprise that this England team had made the semi-finals and it also came on the back of you know a horrendous time for the men's team as well Mm -hmm. so the fact that a you know England football team was doing this well was amazing and we've obviously you know had a degree of success now with the men's team and the unders teams as well and so perhaps this is expected there was a sign by the way in a pub that my friend went into the other day and it said um, if you would like to watch the Women's World Cup please let the barman know and we'll put it on for you (laughs) are you kidding me just put it on if you put it on people will watch it male or female people will watch you don't have to have a sign behind the bar saying if you'd like to watch it please ask the barman just put it on for God's sake (laughs) I think uh, one I was thinking earlier that one reason that's maybe not um, just launched everywhere and you see see it is that people I certainly feel a bit football fatigued 
There's just so much football all of the time. And you come out of like, so like the, the Premier League season and everything, and then you go into the Nations League, and then this is the next tournament there. And then there's currently the men's are doing the South, Af- the South American tournament. I think there's an African uh, tournament on as well. Yeah, Madagascar beat Nigeria. It never night. ends. So there's no rest. And I think once things aren't there for a while, you sort of miss them. And then because... Like you had the World Cup last summer, so that was so recent as well. Mm. Maybe that's tying into it a little I do, bit. I mean, look, you, you know, we've still got nearly 48 hours to go. So let's hope that the uh, that uh, England takes off in that time and we see it in every pub. It's, uh, it's, it's, it is difficult, isn't it? It's it's an 8 o'clock clock kickoff, this semi-final, and it's a Tuesday night. Um, I can't, perfect I, I, pub time. Yeah, yes. Tough for the kids. Yes, though. it is. It is tough for the kids. Um, also, yeah, I think I think we need to see more people engaging with it, and there needs to be. Look, especially because we're playing the USA, right? This is this is kind of like a final, and if we don't win this one, that's it. We're done. So there's not that sense of finality that we've had before. It's almost like it's assumed that we're going to make it through. 7.6 million people they watch an all-way game. That's a good number of people. Yeah, I mean, already the cumulative viewing figures have just rocketed past Canada, although some of the Canada games were at strange times of night. Um, yeah, you know, I think in terms of success of the overall tournament, I think, you know, yes, we've had more investment in this England women's team. We've had a lot more advertising around it. We've been able to do, you know, like us, we've been able to do a daily podcast. We've never been able to do that before. Um, But we have to remember that for other teams like Italy, who've seen record broadcasts, Brazil, you know, America's set to do that as well. We have to remember that 50% of the global professional female soccer players receive no pay, that one third of them need a second job to be able to make ends meet and that 20% of them report some sort sort of gender dis- discrimination. So let's step away from England in terms of the success of this World Cup and let's play it out back to the rest of the world as well because we're enjoying a good time here in England. I think it could be better. But when you look at countries like Italy and like Brazil, even in Cameroon as well and the African nations, you know, this World Cup's doing really, really super things. Yeah, I think it, I feel like it's um, definitely kickstarted something. The standard is so high. Yeah. Um, when in the past, past tournaments, it hasn't been this tournament here has been like really great football to watch, and I think as clubs have started to realise that there's there is a market definitely for the women's teams, and this World Cup has made stars of a few individuals as well. And you might see that things like say that Arsenal uh, pick up more supporters because more people have had access to watch this World Cup, and so they want to go and watch the women's team. Yeah, and you've got players like Midema who are there that they can go and watch, and you've got players like like Ellie White's going to be at Man City, so maybe people will go and see them play. And that might help boost the profile of that, which then will have a knock-on effect. And you've got these great teams like Lyon and Barcelona. Uh, I think Real Madrid announced they're going to have a women's team as well yeah, now coming are. up. Uh, Man United have their team that started last season, I th- yep. think. Yep. And they're now in the top league. And, and actually, we have seen the fixtures, the opening fixtures for the league season, which I think have come a little late. I think we could have probably done with them a few weeks ago. What an opening day, though. What an opening day, because you've got a couple of London derbies and you've got City versus United as well. Bring it on. Let's finish up by asking this question. After Oprah Winfrey wore a USA shirt this week, who is your team's most famous fan? And we had a great response to this from our friends on Twitter. Uh, this has been presented to me as a series of photos. Uh, oh, I like produ- it. Producer uh, Joel Grove clearly mugging me off, knowing I don't really recognise faces very well. So the first one <laughs> is from Josh Boswell, who supports Blackburn Rovers. Uh, this a, a fella, a burly fella in a gold chain wearing a kind of Robbie Savage era away shirt. Who is that person, Joel? 
Oh, it's rap of a game, I've been told. Uh, and the man in a cowboy hat in front of a WWE hoarding. Is that the wrestler Bart Gunn? Billy Gunn? Billy Gunn, brilliant. Not that famous, but thanks, Josh Boswell. Uh, LFCZA says, game over, and posts a photo of Nelson Mandela in a little yes. bullshit. I do recognise him, glad to say. <laughs> but wait, here's RGP, Ross Palmer, who says, this fella, and it's the Pope holding a Sunderland shirt. Wonderful. Aberdeen, JJ, who have you got? Well, I th- um, limiting, it, limiting it to non-kind of sports people, uh, the, the director, John S. Baird, who made Stan and Ollie... He's uh, sort of famous-ish. Oh, God, you're scraping the barrel already. Well, the the one thing I can... I was trying to think earlier who actually would be famous from Aberdeen that would support them. There's probably a few that I've missed out. There'd be some very famous scientists and people like that. However, um, I know that when when I made the Aberdeen Cup final song in uh, (laughs) 2013-14, we got a video sent in from the Foo Fighters guitar tech (laughs) from the studio. So I'm going to assume that uh, Mr. Ali Christie... uh, who is the guitar tech for Dave Grohl, may well have got Grohl to support Aberdeen. I'm gonna, I don't know if it's true. I'm going to go with it. Good, good. You'll take Taylor Hawkins, if not. Kate, who have you got? Do you know the Pope was meant to be a Liverpool fan as well? I don't I, think I, he cares. I, mean, I, think, I think he think, hands up anything he's given hunter. and smiles. I think the Pope's everyone's fan. Uh, Liam Neeson, Dr. Dre, both Liverpool fans. Uh, Ian Beale, Adam Woodyatt from EastEnders. <laughs> Christopher. I like how he's Ian Beale. Man in red. Uh, Kilroy. Uh, Les Dennis, who was on the books at Liverpool when he was a nipper. Uh, I, I think I could beat all of you. I mean, you know, I we are we are inundated with famous fans at Liverpool. So I thought I'd bring uh, a couple of the more real life options like Ian Beale into the fray. I think Good. Snoop Dogg has supported every single team in Snoop England. Snoop Dogg, at some point. he's worn a QPR shirt at some point, without a doubt, and a Norwich shirt. You must have a good QPR fan, do you? Oh, so many QPR fans. Glastonbury headliner Robert Smith, uh, one time future Prime Minister Michael Gove. Uh, as a really cool though as well, like we've got Mick Jones from the Clash. That's good. Uh, but you've just said Michael Gove. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, the and ones other the than Michael sentence. Gove are really cool. I'm Sean, not sure I can imagine Sean Walsh, Robert Smith kicking footballs. I can't. And he just looks at them and like appears glum. They, they, they deflate. <laughs> <laughs> That's your lot for this week. We'll be back with you on wait for it Friday with a special show previewing the Women's World Cup final, which we very much hope England will be in. If you want to contact me before then, you can head to Twitter. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget. Also, you can send us an email. Why not? It's 2019. We've all got email. AFCpodcast at telegraph.co.uk is the address you need. We will read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You've nearly run out of time to subscribe to the podcast for this football season. Please get in there before the season ends and a new one begins in about three weeks. Look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. 
acast.com.